sheet here. Good morning. Uh, we'll be reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 22. Yes. And in our Pew Bible, if you've got that handy, it'll be, I believe, page number 7. Uh, this version we're reading from is the New King James Version. Uh, Dave, I got a complaint. Uh, just one verse? Okay. Anyway, we're going with just one verse here. Uh, they're talking about, let me get a little synopsis here. Uh, it's talking about Noah and how he obeyed. The, uh, apparently, he had a lot of instructions on how to build this ark. And so, this is the verse we're reading. 6.22 it says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. You being here encourages us, and we hope that we can encourage you. Just one verse, but one verse that says so much. We're talking about obedience this morning. You remember last Sunday morning, we talked about glory and how God is a God of glory, and we are to reflect His glory. And if we are to reflect His glory, we obey God. And so we'll continually build upon things that will help you and I grow stronger spiritually. As we think about imposters, one that probably comes to mind more than any other in the last 50 years was that of Frank Abagnale. He was one that was born in 1948. He was a middle of four children, somewhere either second or third. And in New York City, at the age of 16, his parents divorced, and it's traumatic for him, and he ran away from home. He would never see his father again. It would be seven years before he would even visit on the phone with his mother again. When he went to New York City to live on his own, he had something that was quite unusual. Even at the age of 16, he looked like a man that was 25 or 30, believing that he could get a better job because, after all, he was a high school dropout. He changed his driver's license to reflect the age of 26 instead of 16. It was then... He began to work, but also realized that he could float checks on overdraft accounts if he opened accounts at multiple banks. Even though he was a high school dropout, in many ways he was a brilliant man. He began to find many ways he could scheme banks. Some of the ways he was successful, $40,000 at a time. He also, during this, found out ways to produce counterfeit ID for Pan Am. He then went and told them that he'd lost his uniform. And they gave him a replacement uniform, believing he was a genuine pilot. That gave him the ability to go in and start deadheading free flights, not just anywhere in America, but across the world. You see, this opened up the floodgates for opportunities of bank fraud all over the world. By the time it was said and done, in a five-year period of time, this 16-year-old had stolen $2.5 million dollars. But that's not it. That's not even why we're thinking about him this morning. See, he was an imposter. He made everyone believe he was really a pilot. He couldn't fly. Not only that, he ran into a friend, made a friend in Georgia. The friend was a doctor. The doctor put him on the spot and asked him if, if he would oversee as a resident, a supervisor of a night shift, because he had introduced himself as not only a pilot, but also a doctor. And for 11 months, he served as a doctor. 
He had some very close calls. A baby almost died one night because when the nurse cried out a a blue baby, he didn't know what that meant. After 11 months, he was finally relieved of that temporary duty. He went into Louisiana. There he created a Harvard University certificate. He applied to take the bar exam. Now he straight up passed the bar exam upon the third try. He went to work for the attorney general. It was there that he worked along beside another individual that was a genuine Harvard graduate. That got him nervous. He was afraid that he'd be found out. So he quit that job pretty quickly and moved on. He said one of the things he enjoyed doing so much was going to Brigham Young, again, with some fake credentials. And he taught sociology for one semester. Many of the students, of course, older than him at that time, thought that he was the best teacher they ever had. You see, in a period of five years, at least eight different identities at least $2.5 million stolen. He was finally caught, arrested, wanted in 26 countries across the world. After that, he came out of prison five or six years later. It's hard for him to hold a regular job. If anybody hadn't found out what he had done, they were afraid of him. Except those that wanted to learn about fraud. He immediately became a great success when he opened up a consulting business. He straightened his life out. And he began to consult. American businesses about fraud, even working for the FBI much of the time. Now he's a multimillionaire. His books have sold over $20 million, and you can go on the website today and see his business that he offers to individuals and industry across the world today. But I want you to think with me for just a moment, an imposter, someone that says they're one thing, and actually they're not that at all. Isn't it wonderful that we probably don't live around many of those today, or do we? Isn't it wonderful that none of those exist in the church? Or do they? How many today will profess that Jesus is Lord of their life, but yet their conduct and their behavior says just the opposite? You see, it doesn't matter how long I say that I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter how loud I boast of the fact that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If what I did last night and Friday night says otherwise, I'm nothing more than an imposter. One that says, I talk it, but I'm not that. I'm not the real deal. I'm a fake. You think the Bible would warn of such things? Look with me, if you will, as we will be making our way in a few minutes to the story of Noah. But look with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, beginning at verse 12. I'd like for you to especially notice 13. But then just to kind of drive home how we can avoid that, let's go ahead and read 14 and 15. But we're especially reading this for the purpose of verse 13. We're in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. It's on page 1057 in your pew Bibles. He says in 2 Timothy 3 and 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. How could we avoid this? You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from the childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Many of you know, verse 16 and 17, where it talks about all scriptures given by inspiration of God. But you see, these are the verses leading up to it. What is the warning? 
The warning is Paul writing to Timothy that's working with the church at Ephesus, the church that he loved dearly. And he's warning Timothy to warn them, look out, there's evil people out there. Well, that's all right because evil people are out in the world and only righteous people gather among the church. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, even among the church, there'll be those that'll be imposters. They'll say to you that they're the real deal, that they're a genuine Christian. And the reality is, they're going to rub off on you things that aren't right. They're going to try to convince you of things that God simply has not taught. They're going to try to get you to agree that immoral things are now righteous. And he says, they'll be deceptive. And they'll even be deceived. In other words, they'll deceive for so long that they themselves will become deceived. Have you ever told yourself a lie for so long that finally you believe the lie? Is there some habit in your life that when you first started practicing that habit, you felt guilty and you told yourself how you ought to stop because this is a sin. And then after months and maybe even years of practicing that habit, now you try to justify the habit and you try to even convince other people, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. You shouldn't judge me in that. What happened? Did God's word change? Why did you feel guilty at first and believe that it's wrong and now that you find that it's okay in your own mind and you try to justify it? Why? God's Word hasn't changed. You've changed. You've become an imposter. You've become one that says, hey, I'm really a genuine Christian. But your behavior says, I'm a fake. I don't really believe in living the Christian life. I just want people to think I believe that I live the Christian life. When we think of what has become vogue in America today, in the religious world. It's become vogue among many churches to accept anyone that calls themselves a Christian with open arms. Friends, when we listen to what Paul said to this same church, the church of Ephesus, when he was speaking through or to the elders, wanting them to communicate this to the church in Acts the 20th chapter. You remember in 29, he warned them that there would be savage wolves that would enter in. And he says it would even be among some of you that would rise up. What was the warning? Early on, the church of Ephesus, through the elders, he warned them, there's going to be people, even elders, that are not the genuine Christian that they ought to be. And he's saying, look out, they'll destroy the flock. Now, the last, next to the last chapter of Holy Writ that we have written by Paul, before he dies, what's on his mind? He loves Timothy, he loves the church at Ephesus, and he says, beware of impostures. What about Jesus in Matthew the 13th chapter when he spoke about the field? Remember he said that there are going to be some plants that grow, but then he also said along with the wheat, the crop, the fruit, there's also going to be imposters, except here he calls them tares, he calls them weeds, and they're going to grow among that which is good. Friends, I'm not preaching this lesson so you and I will begin to doubt everything that our Christian neighbor does, everything that our Christian brother and sister does. I'm not saying let's begin judging hearts and becoming critical of each other. But I am saying to you from the Word of God, we're fools if we think that everyone who talks the Christian talk is a genuine Christian. We need to select carefully our good friends even among those that call themselves Christians. And we need to look with open eyes through the Word of God to see what we need to be, not look through the lives of others to see what we need to be. Look with me, if you will, one quick verse in Luke the 6th chapter. This is a verse that's a sobering question for any imposter, and it's a question that 
all of us ought to ask ourselves. This is the chapter that's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew. And in Luke, the sixth chapter, we're beginning the paragraph that has the content of the song of the wise man building his house on the rock and the foolish man building his house upon the sand. But have you noticed how this story, this paragraph begins? Listen to this question that Jesus asked in Luke, the sixth chapter and verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? You know what Jesus is saying there? Wait a minute. When you're around others, you're crying out, Lord, Lord. But I watch the way you live day in and day out. You're not doing the things I say. When you're trying to ease your own conscience, you cry out, Lord, Lord. But you don't do what I say. Friends, the best way for us to find out about ourselves, whether or not we're an imposter, is to simply, simply, Ask ourselves this question. Do I obey God? Obedience is underranked in America today. We put a lot more emphasis on not getting caught than we do upon obedience. How many children, three, four, five years of age, are taught to strictly obey? Not just obey when mom and dad are mad and now they're going to do something about it, but to obey even when things are good. You know, parents, anytime that I have the opportunity when a parent says, hey, can you give me just a few things to think about raising little ones? That's easy for me to answer. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm not saying I mastered it. But I know what the easy answer is. By the time a child is three years old, they ought to know how to obey and do it consistently. It's that simple. If a child is told no, the response ought to be obedience immediately. If a child is told yes, do something, response should be obedient immediately. And that ought to carry over when he's in first and second grade, in fifth and sixth grade, in eleventh and twelfth grade. And it ought to carry over in his relationship with society, with his employer, with the government. And with his God, when he's 21 and 22, and 41 and 42, and 81 and 82. Friends, I don't mean to take the beautiful picture of grace out of God's plan. But for a few minutes this morning, let's talk about us and what our response to God's glory should be. Our response should be obedience. And it doesn't matter if I'm at home at Mount Juliet or if I'm a thousand miles away on a trip or vacation or business. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday morning or if it's Friday night. It doesn't matter if it's through the week or through the weekend. My response to God ought to be obedience. God, I want to cry out, Lord, Lord, and do the things you ask of me to do. With this in mind, let's think about the great, great character Noah. And if you'd like, be turning to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. As we think about the great character of Noah, it's 
wonderful to be able to study the story out of Genesis and then go over and see the great chapter of faith. We sometimes call it the Hall of Faith. You remember that Abel was remembered by the way he worshipped in faith. Enoch was remembered the way he walked by his faith. But when we think about Noah, we say, what's he remembered for? Really, he's remembered for his work of faith. He had an obedient work that was remembered as long as time shall stand. We need to be people that worship. But we also need to be people that walk the walk. We also need to be people that's willing to carry out the task that God asks us to do. Let's look at the 11th chapter here in verse 7. And let's think about Noah's obedient faith. Look at verse 7 and notice just especially, you know, we're going to look at various parts of this verse, but for right now, notice the first three words there. By faith, Noah. Now that's informative. Whatever we're about to read, it was because of faith. And faith is when we do things that we can't see. It's because we believe God. It's because we trust God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear or godly respect, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So when we think of Noah's obedient faith, notice it was by faith that he listened to what God had to say and that he moved into action to build this tremendous structure of an ark and then willing to load it with animals and willing to put his family upon this. And his life was saved. And as children, we're drawn to this story because, let's face it, it's a story that involves animals. And children are drawn to animals. But I want to ask you, why are you as an adult drawn to this story? I have to tell you, that about four or five years ago, something clicked in my mind when I was studying Noah, and I have honestly grown in my appreciation for Noah the more I live now over the last four or five years. I, I just, I can't imagine such faith. I can't imagine such obedience. And from time to time, when I think about challenges in my life, I think about Noah, and I think, hey, if he can do it, surely he can lead the way by way of example. For me to do it also. Friends, do you care if you're obedient? Are you comfortable being in posture? Are you determined to say, God, I want to be yours. Not just verbally. Not just vocally. I want to be yours genuinely. I want to be a Noah type person. I want to be someone that by faith, I trust God. You see, it's easy to trust God when it's things that we see. It's when it becomes faith that it becomes much more challenging. Many of you have seen and perhaps even participated in the game that's called the trust game, where where individuals put their arms out and they lock their, their knees and they begin to fall back. There's someone behind them and the idea is you trust the person behind you to catch you under your arms so that you won't hit the the floor. Now to really play the trust game, you're not supposed to look back over your shoulder. To play it as it is supposed to be played. You lock your knees, you look straight ahead, or you either close your eyes and you fall off the back of your heels. And if they didn't catch you, it'd be a painful event. Some have even elevated the game and placed individuals five or six feet above the ground and had sleeping bags or canvases, and they trust the individuals to catch them. Without looking, it brings fear to that game. Now, if you've never played it, 
you may look at the picture and you say, that's no big deal. If you've never played it, you have to remember, you're doing this without looking back. You're not seeing anything. And you begin to realize then the meaning of trust. I trust you. When God asks you to do something that by sight it makes no sense, are you willing to trust Him? When God asks you to do something and and He asks you to avoid something and by sight it makes no sense, are you still willing to do it? When you can't see why, when you can't feel why, when you can't reason why, are you still willing to do it? When the majority around you doesn't agree with God, Are you still willing to do it? Notice as we look back again to Hebrews the 11th chapter in same verse, verse 7. Notice there's different words underlined this time. And as we we look at the next phrase here, I'd like for you to think about the fact that really obedience, the very very root of obedience, and, and this is the word itself. I'm not just talking about the concept. I'm talking about the word itself. The root of obedience means to listen. You see, it's the idea that if we don't listen to God, we can't respond to God. And so obedience is when I listen to God and I respond faithfully to what God has asked. And so let's think about this kind of listening faith again. And notice again as we look at this. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not seen. You see, that's why it was faith. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. Now where did this message come from? It was a divine message. It was from above. It was from God. And what did he do? He listened to that message, but he also obeyed that message, and he began working. You know, many of us have heard the the old uh, joke slash illustration that it's been around as long as I've been alive. I remember hearing it. You know, it's about the guy that falls off the cliff, and it's nighttime, and and he falls for hundreds of feet, and finally there's no tree out, and and he falls over the tree, and he swings over, and he's hanging by just one limb there, and he cries out, help, help, help. And finally, he he looks up, and, and he says, is there anybody up there? And God says, I am. Who are you? I'm God. God, can you help me, please? Yes, just do what I say. God, I'll do anything. He says, okay, turn loose of the limb. The guy thinks for a little while. He looks down through the darkness. He remembers that feeling of falling. He says, is there anybody else up there? How many times would we do that with God? I've heard other versions of that story. Morning came, and he was only three foot off the ground. Oh, it doesn't matter what the rest of the story is. It doesn't even have to make sense to us. If God asks you to stand in the corner on your head three times a day for ten minutes, would you do it? In front of an audience, would you do it? (laughs) It doesn't make sense, and I'm not going to have people staring at me. If God asked, you wouldn't do it? Friends, I need to understand something. It's not obedience at all if it has to make sense to me to do it. True obedience is when by faith I obey what God says. How many times have we heard individuals say, I just don't believe God really cares about that anymore. I I just don't really believe God that that's important to God anymore. You see, what that line of thinking is, is 
I want to be an imposter. I know what God's asking, and I'm not comfortable with that anymore. And so I still want to be considered a Christian. I want to be considered religious. I want to ease my own conscience. But I have no intentions of really obeying what God has asked me to do. Look with me, if you will, as we think about this obedience. And uh, look to Genesis, the sixth chapter. In Genesis, the sixth chapter, I'd like for you to scan just a couple of verses and we'll extend the invitation here. In Genesis, the sixth chapter, there's something that I need to understand about this great and tremendous obedience of Noah. The first thing that I need to understand is it did not begin when God asked him to build an ark. Do you remember in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter how God saw the wickedness of mankind, that every thought and intent of their heart was upon evil and wickedness? And so it was then that God decided He was going to destroy the earth. And so a response to all of this is look in verse 8 and 9. He says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Friends, here is a man that before God asked him to do anything spectacular like building an ark, he lived among people that were not faithful. But he remained faithful. He went to work with people that were not faithful, but he remained faithful. His children went to school with people that were not faithful, but they remained faithful. His neighbors didn't do the right thing, and he chose to do the right thing. No doubt he was around ungodly hobbies and entertainment on a regular basis. But he decided that he would participate in only things that would help him walk with God. Friends, sometimes we drop back and we look at the huge things and we say, why can't I be more like Noah and and be someone that can build a huge ark for God? And maybe what I ought to do is stop and think about the pre-ark Noah. Why can't I just be more like God on a day-to-day basis? When you and I are faithful in the small things, God will give us the opportunities to be faithful in the great things. And you know the story. You know how He built an ark. An ark that is guessed to weigh 20,000 tons. An ark that would have stood four and a half stories high. An ark that would have had over 90,000 square feet in it. An ark that was miles and miles away from any body of water that would have been large enough to float it. Probably had never seen a rain, as you and I know rain. Probably had never seen a flood. But it was by faith that He built the ark. It was by faith that He prepared His family It was by faith that he loaded the animals and his family and they waited seven days for the rain to fall and for God to close the door of the ark. Friends, this morning, I know it's simple. And and I use that word understanding. It's It's not a synonym for easy. I understand there's nothing easy about what we're studying this morning. But it's so simple. I need to obey God. And when God asks something... I don't need to look for excuses and reasons to not obey. I simply need to have a heart that says, I want to be genuine. I want to be the Lord's. I don't want to be a hypocrite or an imposter. This morning, if you're not saved, 
this would be a wonderful time to be baptized into Christ for remission of sins. Just as the water separated those that were lost and those that were saved, 1 Peter 3 and 21 speaks of Noah, and it says that baptism doth also now save us. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you consider that this morning? It'd be the great, great decision that you could make today. If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, Maybe you've talked one life and you lived another life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to leave here this morning forgiven? Leave here this morning being God's faithful child. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.